Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Um, If you're able, would you stand as we read the gospel from John? Chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one else can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one, can as- no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The word of the Lord. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Uh, amazed that any of you are here on Daylight Saving Day, and also it's going to be like 80 out t- today, right? It's going to be 80 degrees or so. Um, my name is Steve Weens. I'm the senior pastor here at Genesis, and it's my great pleasure to be able to lead you in the scripture portion today. 17 power-packed verses. 
how will we ever get out of here by 6 p.m.? Um, so we hear the phrase born again. And so I'm going to ask an all-play question. All plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo, me. Uh, what are some, let's do some free association. When you hear the phrase born again, what, what comes to mind? Altar calls. Okay, thanks, Lisa. Appreciate that. Oh, exclusivity. And then I heard a yeah. In or out. Okay. Thanks, you guys. What else? Coming back to faith after walking away. Thanks, Linda. Yes. Starting over. Thanks, John. Starting for the first time. Identification. Yes. Wow. Choice. Wow. <laughs> Why did Jesus use such confusing language? Well, let's get into that, right? So the problem with this passage, potentially... Uh, and our understanding it, and our getting to the really juicy parts of it, is that we think we know who Nicodemus is, and we think we know how Jesus answered him. Right? Now, if you think you already know what, who someone is and what they're saying on either side of any spectrum, you probably will misunderstand who they are and what they're saying. I'm going to say that again, because I think it's so... I personally think that happens to be true. Human beings are complex and nuanced. And if you think you understand exactly what someone is and is saying and stands for, then you probably are going to put together in your mind your response before you understand what they're saying and who they are. So if we have a implicit bias against a religious leader like Nicodemus. Because Jesus seems to get in his face quite a bit, right? You're a teacher of Israel, yet you don't understand these things. If I speak to you of earthly things and you don't even get that, how am I supposed to speak to you of heavenly things? I mean, Jesus seems to be pretty harsh with him. The problem with this being a person is that we want to categorize that person and those people in a certain way. And we certainly don't want to be in that camp, right? We don't see ourselves, typically, we don't read the story and see ourselves as Nicodemus, right? We see him as kind of the bad guy, the guy that doesn't get it, the guy that maybe is curious, and that's good. But then we have to qualify it by saying, well, he was embarrassed to even talk to Jesus because he went to Jesus at night. And who would be embarrassed to talk to Jesus? I mean, you should be out loud and up front, talk to Jesus face to face in the light. That's what good people do, right? And we don't even know that we're saying all these things to ourselves. We just approach it like this. And why does Jesus use such tricky language to what seems like a pretty basic question? Now, let's remind ourselves, and you can feel free to look on the, on the sheet of, on the liturgy, what was the question that Nicodemus asked Jesus?
Okay. He just made a statement. There really was no question in there. Or maybe there was. Um, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no one can do these signs, these miracles that you do apart from the presence of God. So what is Nicodemus saying to Jesus? Say it again. He's asking, are you really the son of God? Now, he's also saying something about what he believes the son of God does. And what's that? Yeah. He performs miracles. So you're the son of God if you perform miracles, because how else would you do those things? The only tricky part about that is that if you back up and look at John chapter 2, verse 23, we read this. When Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name, that's a good thing, because they saw the signs and wonders that he was doing. But Jesus on his part would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to testify about anyone for he himself knew what was in everyone. So what's the challenge here? That sets up this story. Jesus is, the, the, well, the writer John is saying that lots of people believed in Jesus because he was doing signs and wonders. And Jesus said, what about that? They're trusting the signs and wonders. And faith needs to be about more than that. So then we have the story about Nicodemus saying, we know that you're from God because you're doing signs and wonders. It's like a for example. Now, really, I think because it's so easy to pit Nicodemus against ourselves and to pit him against Jesus, I think a better way to understand this story in a way that we would invite it into our understanding is that this story compares and contrasts two ways of understanding God. One way is represented by Nicodemus, and it's the logical, cerebral method. One plus one equals two. Now, what's the one plus one in Nicodemus's frame of reference for knowing who God is? If you do signs and wonders, then you're God. It's very straightforward, very clear, and probably not untrue. So why didn't Jesus just say, yeah, man, you got it. I am. Because he was the son of God and he was doing signs and wonders. Okay, Sean, misses the point. What's the point? You don't have to answer it, Sean. I don't want to put you on the hot seat there. Okay, Will said there's a broader message than just the miracle worker guy, as important as that is. We're not diminishing that. I don't think Jesus was diminishing signs and wonders. He was doing them. But there is a broader message. So if Nicodemus represents the Western way of thinking of logical, one plus one equals two, certainty, I think Jesus begins to represent the mystical and contemplative way of understanding God and truth. 
And the reason why I believe that that's true is because he uses paradox. Now, a paradox is an apparent contradiction. And what a paradox is meant to do in the teaching moment is to bring that logical, linear, certain way of thinking to a dead end, to where it has to go, whoa, 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 whoa. This contradiction is making me stop in my tracks and wonder if what I've always thought is really true. So what paradox does Jesus offer up? It's right there in the text. Yeah, as an adult, you have to be born again. Now, of course, it's so hilarious, right? In, in, in the West, what have we done with that phrase? <laughs> this paradoxical, mysterious phrase. Yes, we've turned it into a one plus one equals two. Oh my gosh. I'm just, this is what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to disrupt one plus one equals two by giving a paradox. You must be born again. Now we, you know, we say, oh, Nicodemus is a, he's, you know, he doesn't get it or he's argumentative. I think it's beautiful that he enters into the paradox. He says, okay, well, hold on. Like, what do you mean a man must be born again? Am I supposed to climb back into my mother's womb? I mean, it's kind of funny. Like, now we're talking. I can see Jesus going like, okay, now we're cooking with gasoline. Here we go. So uh, Nicodemus is a, is a, am I like Luigi right now and Mario? Uh, Nicodemus is not supposed to understand it right there. Oh, you're supposed to be born again. Thanks. This has been a great talk. My life's been totally changed. Let's, I'm, I'm, peace out. I'm going to go get some pizza and great. Oh, thank you. He's supposed to go, huh? And he does. So Jesus engages him. Verse five, very truly, I tell you, no one can, now he even expands it and he's going to use metaphor now. Paradox isn't enough. We got to go to metaphor. Uh, and a metaphor is saying that this thing that isn't really this thing is this thing. <laughs> That's what metaphor does. Okay, let me explain. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What's born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. So don't be astonished, don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What's the metaphor that Jesus uses to understand Spirit, to be born of Spirit? What? Baptism, Baptism yes. He uses another metaphor, too. Baptism is one. Wind. What does the wind look like? Anyone been sailing? Brian, what does the wind look like on the water when you sail? <laughs> Say it again. Yep, there's a mainsail and there's a jib. Yep. And you have to like kind of position your your jib, that's the sail that's out in front, 
And you have to move your main, too, to catch the wind. Now, I've been sailing a few times, though I don't know how to do it. I just know how to, like, change the sails when someone tells me to do so. But all of a sudden, the captain may say something like, oh, man, do you see that? Do you see that? Do you feel that? And the rest of us are like, <laughs> you know, like Labrador retrievers. What? What did we feel? What did we see? The wind just changed. So then you have to do a tack, you know, and you have to slide the jib all the way over to the other side. Sometimes you even have to move the main because the wind just changed. And if you want to go from point A to point B in sailing, you can't just set your sail and go. I wish it, well, I don't wish it was that easy. It would be so boring. What do you have to do, Will? You have to tack to the wind. So tacking is kind of like going like this. Like if I'm going from here to the... <laughs> you guys realize I didn't bring notes up here? Okay. Um, <laughs> tacking is like going like this. I can't just... I can't, with, the, with the way the sailboat is and, and there's no motor, it's just, I have to go like this. <laughs> and every move, you got to whip that jib all the way over to, to the other side, which involves cranking and releasing, and there's all, it's so fun. <laughs> Unless the wind is too strong, and you got to really bring your mane all the way in, and it's barely showing because otherwise it's going to rip. Now, why does anyone go sailing? It's expensive, it takes a lot of time. You don't really get anywhere. <laughs> Why would anyone waste any time going sailing? It's a challenge. What's the challenge, Pam? Reading the wind. Reading the wind. Getting somewhere. Okay, Will just said something profound. You can't see what you're looking for. You can only see the effects of it after you've made a attack or even a jive, and, and then you start going in a certain direction. And you, you actually can look up, and what's the thing up there called, you guys? What, what, what's it called? Well, the telltale's for sure, but the thing up on top, the it's like... Yeah, the... It's a wind vane, but like you, you can, if you're looking up there, there there's like, there's a part, that, like you know you're, you're catching all of the wind if it's at a certain point. So you're looking out, you're looking up. Uh, the telltales are these little tails that hang down from your jib. And if they're flying out, um, then, you know, then, then you know you're catching the wind, right? So there's all these effects that you can see, but you really can't see the actual thing. And I think in, in the same way Jesus is saying, listen, you guys, faith in my Father following the Spirit is like that. So you can't just walk up to someone and say, like, I know you're, you know, you made it from point A to point B, you must be from God. I know you're doing these certain things, you must be from God. It's an adventure. It's a back and forth. It's a following, Right? And so when we make even being born again into a formula that you got to do in order to get in, in and out, Jesus would say like, oh gosh, that's a start. It's just not nearly enough. And it's not 
fun in any way because it allows you to categorize people as in or out or good or bad. Um, and that's, I think, what he's saying. Like, if I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe them, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Jesus is getting into really a contemplative and mystical understanding of what it means to be in relationship with God. And he gets the big crescendo of this whole passage in John 3.16. And do they still, does the guy in the wig still hold up the sign at the football games in the end zone? Does he still do that? Or is that like 1980s? Haven't seen him for a while. There used to be this guy with a rainbow wig. And he would hold up the sign, John 3.16. Remember that guy at the football games? And this is the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. And then I always want to say to the, to the football guy holding up the sign, why, why do you just stop at verse 16? 17 is so good, man. It's so good. Why do you stop at 16? 17 is, indeed, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus is saying, listen, the whole ballgame, is union and communion with God. And it's initiated by God. God sent God's Son into the world so that whoever believes in him, and that word believe really means like, it's sort of like, it's not just mentally saying, yep, it's like from your toes, I trust in the way of this person. When Jesus says later in John 14, any biblical scholars here? John 14, 6, I think it is. Jesus said to him, because someone asked him, Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? What a great question, right? Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, remember the, uh, what Peyton read, the verse that Peyton read from the lectionary this week that God told Abram or Abram back in Genesis 12, he said, go. And then what did he say? Go to a place. I will show you in the future after you've already stepped forward into the place. And that's a paradox. How do you go to the place without knowing what the place is? Gosh, Jesus is just frustrating. But he's also so delicious, right? Why wouldn't we want to follow this guy? Why wouldn't we want to follow this guy where he's going? So Thomas has the temerity to ask him, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How can we know the way? And then Jesus said to him, listen, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's mystical and contemplative. And we turn that into a <laughs> logical linear thing too, right? Uh, Jesus is the way. But if you do a study, I challenge you this. Like, I, I will meet you. I'll meet anyone that's up for this challenge. Go through, go through the, the Gospels, the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just put a little column, like, put on a, on a sheet of paper the person's name, if they're named, who met Jesus and who Jesus says something like, your faith has saved you or your sins are forgiven. And then on the right-hand side, say the, the way that that they accomplished that, that their sins were forgiven, right? One guy, their friend, he's paralyzed. We never hear from this guy or see this guy, but he gets lowered down through the roof. 
because Jesus is there, and his friends lower him down there because want, they want Jesus to heal him. And then Jesus looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven. So why isn't the, the formula, you got to, like anyone who wants to believe in Jesus, okay, anyone who wants their sins forgiven, it's going to be tough, but you got to get your friends, you got to <laughs> pretend to be paralyzed, you got to cut a hole in the roof, you got to be lowered down through that hole into the roof, and then you got to have Jesus say your sins are forgiven. There, there's another guy, he's a Roman, Roman centurion, which means he's not on the right side of the spiritual ball game. And he comes to Jesus because his servant is sick. His servant is sick. Who cares? Get another servant. You're a Roman centurion. You're in charge of people. Your servant's sick. He's sick. And he goes to Jesus and says, hey, you know, my servant's sick. And, And Jesus is like, oh, my gosh. I haven't seen this much faith in all of Israel. Now, come on. Seriously? Some Roman centurion comes up to Jesus and says, will you heal my servant? And that's the, that's the most faith you've ever seen. I would be mad if I was like Peter sitting right there, an Israelite who's done some things, right? Okay. Deep breath in, deep breath out. How do you follow Jesus? That's an all play, play question. And why would you? To imitate him? Thanks, Jason. Wow, that's good. Or, well, you would imitate him, and that's how you follow him. Yeah, got it. That's beautiful. Say it again. You just got, <laughs> you just got to be born again. It's that easy. It's that easy. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was 30 years old. This is one of the major turning points of my faith. And I was preaching a message to high school kids, and I, was, and I heard myself saying, listen, following Jesus is as easy as ABC. You got to admit that you are a sinner. Believe that you uh, that he died for your sins. True, true. Okay, and C, commit to following him. Now that's a pretty good formula. But I remember thinking in my little thirty-year-old heart in that moment, as I was preaching that message, that I didn't believe it. That I, that it had to be bigger than that. It wasn't even like I didn't believe it. It just that feels too small. That's just it's just not enough. It's just too small. It's too small of an understanding. Okay, Amber, can it be small sometimes? Yes. Yes. And if you're thinking, it's too small. This is the paradox of faith. This is why we move along stages of faith. Okay? This is why you can't look at someone else and say, you don't have enough faith. If someone's at a stage of faith where it needs to be small, then what does believing in Jesus look like? Something small. But let's say someone else goes, man, it's got to be bigger than that. And not more complex, not more like to do more. It just has to mean more. It's time for attack. Is that making sense? Now, if it's not, welcome to the paradox. (laughs) I didn't make up the paradox. Jesus did. But what I do know, and this feels both big and small at the same time, 
is these two verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That feels both small and huge at the same time. And I think that's the ballgame. That's what we're moving toward. That's what we're sailing toward. Union, communion with God and with each other. So we have one more minute. And I want to spend that minute by asking someone if they have a question. Oh, it's just to see how many different ways people come to know Jesus, right? So like, just go through all the ways that Jesus meets someone and then says, your sins are forgiven or your faith has made you well. And just, we're, 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 so we're looking for a greater pattern than just one way of getting to know Jesus. If Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, yes, right? But there's got to be more than one way to getting to know Jesus, right? He's the way and the truth and the life. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Well, let's go to the prayers of confession on page four. Okay, one more. <laughs> in those in those uh, stages of faith and in those tacking, which is the best stage to be? And I love the question because it that the question pits everyone against. And and that's the thing. Like we, whatever stage you're in of faith you're going to look to the stage ahead, and it's not better or worse, it's just ahead. And you're going to look on that with some suspicion and some doubt, but you're going to also look at the stage that maybe you just passed through, maybe you were used to be, and you're going to look at that stage with disdain. You're going to say, those idiots, right? So that's why I think Jesus says, you've got to be born again. Like, you have to awaken you have to continually wake up to who God is, who you are. And that's a never-ending journey. So thanks, James. Is that, is that what you were hoping for? <laughs> okay. Oh, that's good. I love the audacity, too. I got one more question. <laughs> I know we blew through our time, but we're doing it. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.